All right, we are in John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and now Jesus is uh, heading heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, uh, we've been in uh, the, on Thursday since John chapter 13. And so we just completed the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. So now Jesus has moved from the upper room with his disciples and is heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is most likely the middle of the night, uh, past midnight now. And, and uh, it's Passover week. And this has been Jesus' routine for the whole week. Jesus would uh, teach, in the t- teach in the temple uh, during uh, this Passover week. He would be with the people in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 21, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read, but Luke chapter 21, verse 37, Luke says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. It's in the vicinity of the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus, once again, knowing that he's going to be betrayed, knowing that uh, this day he is going to be falsely accused and, and crucified and buried in a tomb, uh, Jesus is heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to look at verses 18 through, uh, verses 1 through 14 this morning, and this is pertaining to Jesus' arrest. Starting with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with disciples, crossed the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas had betrayed him. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to him, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. 
The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So the band of and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So the Bible says in verse 1 that, the, that he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples had entered. He has to cross the brook of Kidron. I want you just to picture uh, what this brook looks like in this moment. Because there have been sacrificial lambs in the temple that have been taking place uh, all day Thursday in preparation for the Passover. Now, in preparing this uh, message, I've, I've read about the sacrifices that take place in the temple. And because of the, the amount of people that have come from all over, you know, Jeru- the population of Jerusalem has swelled. And many have bought a lamb to be slain. Many others have decided to purchase a lamb once they arrived in Jerusalem. And the number of lambs slain on this day is anywhere from 20 to 250,000 lambs. I'm not sure what, what the specific is, but that is a lot of lambs. That is a lot of blood. And that is a lot of water to cleanse themselves from the blood that was shed. And all that blood and water has to go somewhere. And guess where it goes? Into the brook of Kidron. And this is the brook that Jesus passes with his disciples. And this is the picture that Jesus is going to go through as the Lamb of God that he sheds all of his blood, all of his blood is drained along with water when the sir thrusts the sword in Jesus' side. This is what Jesus is going, this is what's going to happen to him, and this is symbolic of what he's crossing in the middle of the night with his disciples. You know, not only... Do we have this picture in verse 1? But uh, there is a, an amazing Old Testament parallel with this story. Because in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17, we see an imperfect king, King David, running from his son Absalom. And the Bible says that David, uh, that David 
traverses up the, the, the hill towards the Mount of Olives, weeping. Uh, he, 2 Samuel chapter 15, went up the slope of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. That's what David did in this same area many millennium before. And not only is he fleeing from David, but David's also been betrayed by his closest friend in Ahithophel. <laughs> That's a mouthful. And, uh, and, and J- David is just broken as he flees Jerusalem for his life. And David writes about this in Psalm chapter 41, verse 8. Let me just read it. David says, He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. He's talking about his friend, Ahithophel, who has betrayed David. And we read those same words in John chapter 13, verse 18, as Jesus was observing uh, the the Lord's Supper, the the Passover Supper, which was going to become the the Passover Supper, the, the the Lord's Supper for us. But he had told his disciples that night in John chapter thirteen that someone is going to betray me, and that someone is Judas. And Jesus quotes Psalm chapter forty one, verse eighteen. He says. <clears throat> He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And so here is the Old Testament parallel. Jesus with his disciples is going up that same hill to the Mount of Olives. And many years before, uh, imperfect King David was traversing the same territory. But Jesus, church, is not fleeing. Jesus is on the move. Jesus knows exactly knows exactly what is going to happen to him. And I want you to see three words this morning, or think about three words this morning as we look at, at uh, chapter 18. I want you first to see Jesus... Resolve concerning this situation. Second, I want you to see Jesus' love concerning his disciples. Or that's the third thing. And second, I want you to see the power of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. But note first, Jesus' resolve. <clears throat> Jesus is resolute about what is taking place. Jesus knows that he is going to be arrested. Jesus knows that he's going to be executed. Again, look look at verse 4 of chapter 18. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, said to the soldiers, the high priest, the, the high priest whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane because this was his routine all week. And Jesus knew that Jesus would know where Jesus was at. Jesus wasn't trying to hide from from Judas. Uh, Jesus knew that Judas would find Jesus in the garden. Let me read verses 1 and 2 again. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often went there with his disciples. Judas knew that that is where Jesus was going to be. And so all that happens to Jesus isn't because Jesus was trapped or he was tricked or he was deceived or surprised about whatever was taking place. No, he was in control of it all. And he took his disciples with them because... He wanted them, the disciples to know that he was not a helpless victim. That all that was taking place with, with Jesus was foreordained by God. And Jesus was being completely obedient to his father in the moment. Now, the leaders, the Roman soldiers... Uh, they came at night. Um, these leaders, these religious leaders, they wanted to get Jesus. But they hadn't up to this point because they had feared the people. Jesus was so popular. In John chapter 10, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But uh, yes, Matthew chapter 26, uh, Matthew says... They wanted to arrest him, but they feared that if they did it, it would start a riot because he was so popular. And so what happens, happens in the middle of the night. And it's not with a few. (laughs) It's with a multitude of people. So first, understand, Jesus is resolved to face this head on. He's not surprised by it. He goes to the garden. He knows Judas is going to find them there, find him there. And uh, this is all um, foreordained. Jesus isn't running. Jesus is on the move in the passage of Scripture. Second thing I want you to see is the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Verses 3 through 7. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he, Judas, who was portrayed with him was standing with them and when jesus said to them i am he they drew back and fell to the ground they fell to the ground in fear now how many people came to the garden 
Well, the New American Standard says it was a Roman cohort. Uh, in my uh, uh, English Standard Version Bible, it says it was a band of soldiers. But a Roman cohort is approximately 600 soldiers. And so here are these Roman soldiers armed the hilt. They have torches. They have swords. Uh, they, are, they have uh, all of their equipment on. And not only is it the Roman cohort, but it is also the temple police. And so it could very well have been 800 people or more. And they all come to the garden. And Jesus, knowing what they're coming for, 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 steps forward. He doesn't hide in fear. He's resolved to face this head on. And he steps forward and he asks them the question, Whom do you seek? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, I am. Now, the word he is there, I am he, in the English, to make that more understandable for us today. But in the Greek, Jesus says, I am. Where else have we heard that in the book of John? And I I am says that he is God. And when he said, I am The Bible says they stood stood back, stepped back, and fell to the ground. That is the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, it says, He is the one in whom Isaiah says, He will strike the earth, with the rod of his mouth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul addressing the Thessalonians at the return of Christ. He says this, The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Church, this is... This is Jesus today. You know, the, the world wants to portray God. The world wants to portray Jesus. And we talked about this last week as nothing but uh, rainbows and roses and, and whatever else. Just nothing but love. But the Bible says when Jesus returns, he is going to be judge. And he's going to judge both the living and the dead. Paul again says, the the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. That's the control that Jesus has over his enemies. That's the control that Jesus has over those who do not believe who he is. 
And so here we have all these soldiers. Why were there so many of them? Because they knew how powerful he was. These soldiers, they've been in Jerusalem all week. Many of them stood guard over the temple court from above in the towers. They saw Jesus turn the the tables upside down in the temple on Monday and drove out thousands and thousands of people with the word of his voice. They had heard that Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead just a few weeks prior to. Jesus had a reputation with these men. They knew he was powerful, and so they needed to come in force and armed to the hilt to arrest this man. And they're there to arrest a man who is merely a Galilean teacher. But he is also the mighty God who surrenders himself to these willingly. He's not somebody who's helpless. No. He's going to the cross without uttering a word for our salvation. And so we see his power uh, through his voice. And then in verse 7, it says, We asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. Who are these men? These men are his disciples, whom he loves, whom he cares for. And even in his arrest, he continues to care for his own. You know, Jesus in this, in this moment is being the answer to his prayer in John chapter 17, verse 12. When he prays to the Father, all that you've given me, Father, I have not lost one of them except the son of perdition. And so even in the moment, Jesus is protecting his disciples. And that's where I want to encourage you right now. Jesus continues to be our good shepherd. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is praying for you. He is your good shepherd and continually caring for you. That's who Jesus is in this moment. He is so very good. And maybe you don't feel like he's very so very good in your moment. But just understand that he hasn't turned his back. He knows exactly what you're going through. And in his sovereignty, he has permitted it for your good and his glory. And nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from his love if you're his child. My friend, 
Just hang in there. He's protecting you. And so before Jesus is hauled away, he wants to make sure that his disciples are not arrested as well. And so in that moment, we see impulsive Peter. (laughs) Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter, here Jesus was, he had it all under control, and then Peter steps forward, and he thinks that he's going to protect Jesus. Here he is with his dinky little sword with all these soldiers who are armed to the hilt, and brave little Peter goes to the high priest's servant. He goes to the slave. And I don't know what he was trying to accomplish. Maybe he was trying to slit his throat or something. He missed. And he chopped off his ear. Why did Peter do that? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. But maybe Peter was trying to prove something to Jesus. Because Jesus had told Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will not deny me three times tonight. Peter had a hard time believing that. And so he wants to convince, I'm I'm thinking he wants to convince Peter that he's not going to let this happen. And what could have been something that just, you know, became a chaotic moment, Jesus performs his last miracle. It's not found in this passage of Scripture, but other parts of the, of the gospel. Jesus takes the, uh, the servant's ear and puts it back on Malchus and heals his ear. It's Jesus' last miracle. And then he says this to Peter, In verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's the Father's will that Jesus drink the cup. And what is the cup? The cup is the cup of of the Father's wrath. This is what Jesus had come to do. This is why Jesus was born. And Jesus had been anticipating this moment all 33 years of his human life, but Jesus knew this moment would come before time even began. This was the sovereign will of the Father. Again, the cup is a metaphor, an image for God's wrath and judgment. And there's only one person who can treat it. And that is the Son, Jesus Christ. 
Now we see this cup of wrath in the Old Testament. This, this cup of wrath isn't something new. We've seen it in the Old Testament, and I just want to read a, a couple passages from the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 75, verse 8. Psalm 75, verse 8 says this, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. All the wicked of the earth are going to drink the cup of God's wrath. It is going to happen. It cannot be avoided. The wrath of God is going to come upon those who do not believe, to those who are disobedient. Turn to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. I want to read verse 17. Now, go back first to verse 9, okay? Because uh, Israel is complaining in this passage of Scripture. They're, they're angry with God because of uh, all, this, all this judgment that has come upon them. And so they pray this in verse 9. They say, Awake, awake! on strength. They're praying to God at this point. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? So they're saying, God defend us. Where are you with the Babylonians? The Babylonians are having their way. But then this is what the Lord says in verse 17. The Lord says, wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Look at verses 22 and 23. Thus says the Lord, the Lord, says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more, and it will be, it will, and I will put it into the hands of your tormentors who have said to you, Bow down that we may pass over you, and you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Yes, Israel, Babylon has had their way with you. And the reason why they've had their way with you is because you have been in rebellion against me. You have worshiped other gods. You have committed spiritual adultery. And for that, you are going to drink the cup of my my wrath. And God sent Israel into captivity with the Babylonians for 70 years. 
But then God turned the table and took the cup of wrath out of the children of Israel's hands and gave it to the Babylonians to drink, who had been oppressing, whom God had been using to oppress the children of Israel. And now because of their rebellion, they are to drink the cup of God's wrath. So the cup represents God's judgment, and we've seen it throughout the Old Testament, but now we've come to the life of Christ. And Jesus is going to drink the cup of God's wrath. Our bridegroom is going to drink the cup of the Father's wrath for the bride, the church. The Bible says this in verse Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is why Jesus is drinking the cup of God's wrath. That the imperfect, defiled, impure bride might be forgiven, might be cleansed, might be made pure, as the driven snow. That's what Jesus is going to do for his church, for his children, as he drinks the cup of wrath. Jesus is going to put all of our sin upon himself and be punished by the Father and die. And all his blood would be poured out all that water would be poured out. He would give, his, he's to give his all for the forgiveness of our sin. And John has been telling us over and over and over again, if you will believe who Jesus is and what he has done, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And in John chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus says, He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. My friend, do you believe in what Jesus did for you? This is the only way you can have a relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God. Your sin cannot be forgiven by just trying to do good works, by trying to gain God's approval on your own. That's religion. That's what all the cults do. That's what all the other religions do that have their own gods. No, there is only one God. And we 
come to him through the person of Jesus Christ, believing in what Christ has done for us. And if you don't believe that and you die, you have no second chance. There is no purgatory. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed for man once to die, and after this comes paradise? No, the judgment. And this judgment doesn't just last for a moment, it lasts for all eternity. And the Apostle John writes these words in Revelation chapter 21, or Revelation chapter 14. Turn to Revelation 14. Let me read verses 9 through 11. The inspired words of the Holy Spirit given to John. Says this. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand... He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers, the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Church, this is what happens to all who do not believe. You know, here in this passage of Scripture, it's talking about the tribulation. And maybe you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe I won't be around for the tribulation. You might not be. If you died having rejected Jesus Christ and who he said he was, the very same thing is going to happen to you. The wrath of God. You are going to be drinking the cup of God's wrath for all eternity. But you don't have to. You don't have to because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to the bottom. He absorbed it all so that you, your sin, might be forgiven. So that you, so that we could be with him in heaven for all eternity. This is what the Bible teaches. Praise God, Jesus drank the cup.